Hello and welcome back to the Dual Screens podcast, the world's number one. That's right, number one indie dev interview podcast on the planet Earth, probably, definitely. I'm your host, Andy, and joining me this week is my good friend, the ever awesome Fee Din, who is gonna be Fee Din me. I couldn't I couldn't resist. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna be feeding me some information about an awesome game called Recompile, an atmospheric Metroidvania. Oof, I love that term. Hacking an adventure that lets you take control of a semi-sapient program. Fee, welcome to the show. How's it going, man? Hey, how's it going? Doing good. Doing really good. I've been playing your game. It is quite lovely. Mm -hmm. It is. Thank you. A very, very good game, and I love it so very dearly. That's uh, that's really nice to hear. Yeah, it's one of the few games where I play a lot of indie stuff, a lot of things on the 2D sprite side, especially on the Metroidvania category of games. And when I saw your game for the first time, I want to say two years ago, I was like, this looks like an awesome platformer, but it's a Metroidvania. And it's like got this cool cyber world Tron aesthetic thing going on. And yeah, I was sold from from the get-go. And it's here. It's finally here. What's it been like? This game is now out in the world. Folks are playing it. How's that going for you so far? Yeah, it's uh, it's been a bit of a relief, uh, really. <laughs> We've been working on the game for so long, you know, um, about maybe five or six years since we first started prototyping the thing. Mm -hmm. um, so it's been really nice to finally say, look, here it is and play what we've made. And uh, I mean, we're still kind of working on the game, right. uh, fixing bugs and <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and kind of doing ma mainly kind of uh, quality of life stuff and um, options and accessibility and, you know, kind of other stuff like that. But yeah, we're really happy what we've made. Now, can't this be a case for a game that you could safely say that a bug is a feature? Because you're in you're in like a <laughs> cyber computer space. You can be like, oh yeah, it's that's totally like <laughs> what we intended to do. <laughs> so if you if you ever stumble upon any bugs, then uh, officially it's uh, it's it's a feature, right? <laughs> yes, yes. It's 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 meant I, I to. I can't say anything else. <laughs> it's meant to make the player feel like they're in an actual computer world right it's meant to make you feel just engrossed in the experience um on a, on a, on a on an equally silly note in preparation for this interview i because i do i do a little thing in the description about where can you find the game the developer's socials like twitter discord all that fun stuff which will be in the description of this podcast fyi I typed into the Google machine, recompile Steam, just to get the Steam links. And the second link I see is your Twitter with a whole bunch of binary on it. And I was like, huh, I wonder <laughs> if that means anything. So I just copied and pasted what was on the Google. If there's more, if there's less, I don't know. And I came across a website called binary code translator 
Uh-huh. And according to this translation, that binary means flooded and full of plants. Which doesn't sound that exciting or humorous, but for those of you who are living in the New York City tri-state area with the hurricane, there was massive flooding last night. And this feels oddly appropriate because I feel like my basement is full of plants and also flooded right now. So, so in, in our defense, like, you know, we didn't <laughs> we didn't know uh, that was going on until today. Um, but these <laughs> these tweets um, that our marketing partner has been planning is it's been in the works for a while and it's kind of you know, tongue in cheek kind of stuff. But right. yeah. Maybe it's a coincidence, maybe it's yeah, I feel like it's destiny. I feel I like because you and I, we could have had an interview like a year ago and then shit happened and we kept pushing it back and then we found the right time and here we are and it all just kind of clicked and makes perfect sense. And on that note of things that just click and make good sense, give us the elevator pitch of what Recompile is. Sure. Um, so Recompile, for me, it's a... Metroidvania-inspired 3D game um, with hacking, combat, and traversal. And you play as a sentient virus who's been sent on this mission um, to infiltrate something called the mainframe, which is Mm. the virtual world that you find yourselves in. Uh, You're not given any kind of other direction about why you're there or what you're actually supposed to do. But as you progress through the game and discover the backstory of the mainframe and how it came to be, you realize that you're there for a very important um, mission that affects the future mm-hmm. of humanity without going into any spoilers. Right, because those are some fun, some fun stuff <laughs> does happen along the way. Uh, why, why make a Metroidvania? I feel there's there's a, there's a lot of good stuff in the foundation of this game where it could work as a really good like 3D platformer, but you go the extra step and you want to introduce these really like long-standing and beloved Metroidvania mechanics into your game. How did you arrive to that decision? So I think um, a couple of things, like Metroidvania games have always been one of my favorite genres of games. So, you know, I've I've played from the beginning, Metroid and Castlevania, obviously, but then the newer stuff uh, like Axiom Verge and Hollow mm. Knight and Ori and the Blind Forest and uh, and um, and stuff like that. It's it's been many many years since the genre has been around, um, but not a lot of people are doing it in three D. Right. Um, so uh, we just decided to why not do a Metroidvania game, but in three D. You know, there's plenty of three D adventure games and third-person shooters, you know, over-the-shoulder camera shooters and platformers, but it's not, there's not a lot of 3D Metrovanias. Um, so that was the first reason. Um, the second one is I, could, I really like the Metrovania progression mechanic as mm. a really good game design um, technique, right? It is a good way to create a open-world experience without giving the player 
too much freedom that they don't know mm. what to do or where to go. It's it's kind of a a way of having a little bit of linearity to the progression without having you know level one, two, three, four, five. It's it's right. more freeform than that. So it's it's a nice balance between complete freedom and a linear game. And I think it's a really nice way to do that. Yeah, and you have like that satisfaction of gameplay sort of it's it's etched into what a metroidvania is it's you explore a little bit and there's some like paths blocked off it's like oh what's over there what's over here and then you find an ability or fight a big boss and gain an ability and you feel like you work a little bit big payoff big reward and it sort of repeats itself and that's what makes the genre so fun Exactly. And, you know, you feel yourself getting more and more powerful. Um, and eventually you're kind of this god who can kind of do anything, right? And mm-hmm. um, and the difficulty of the game kind of ramps up to match your level of progression. Um, I'm not a really big fan of, like, numerical stats. So mm-hmm. stuff like RPGs and, mm-hmm. you know, the typical D&D kind of uh, stat system. Like, I know a lot of people really enjoy those types of games but for me i like my games to feel like physical and mm-hmm. more tactile so i think the, the, the way of introducing these kind of traversal mechanics and weapons and um, abilities like hacking and stuff like that is a really good way of adding more depth to your game without overwhelming the player with like a billion options from the beginning yeah i feel like you know one of my favorite metroidvania games is symphony of the night castlevania and yeah. there's a lot of rpg elements baked into that game there's leveling up of yourself your familiars finding weapons constantly switching out weapons shields capes it could get a little overwhelming and then when i play a game like just super metroid it's like i can just see a nice linear progression of my character i get missiles super missiles bombs better bombs there's no like switching back and forth. Like you get better suits and it all just flows less of a headache too. I feel with that kind of a structure. Well, I'm, I'm a big fan of both games actually. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I love them both to death, yeah. but I yeah. see, I, I lean more towards the super Metroid mentality of what a yeah should look like. What I really love about Castlevania. Um, I think especially everyone talks about symphony of the night, but mm-hmm. I think the game released soon after that which was um on the game Boy advance Ario Soa, oh um, yeah was took that formula from symphony and kind of had the kind of card system where you could um i think kill enemies and then you could kind of grab their souls and then you can yes. kind of like use their powers and stuff mm-hmm. so that was a really good kind of middle ground from typical metroidvania progression where it's all very fixed path you know quite linear to if you wanted to mess around with the soul system, it's an optional thing and you can, and it makes your gameplay, you know, more fun. It gives a more depth to it, but you don't have to use it if you don't want to. And I think that's mm-hmm. a really nice way of doing it. So, yeah. What's a, what's your approach? Cause you can play scores of Metroidvania games and you have a really good idea of what they should look and feel and play like, and you could essentially emulate any one of them to a T mm-hmm. without really pushing it further. Starting out with, okay, we're going to take this formula, put it in a 3D space. That's done. How do you go further from that? How do you make it your own your own take on a Metroidvania, aside from the perspective and the world the player is uh, in? Yeah. So with Recompile, 
we're a little bit less strict on something like Metroid. You know, Metroid, you, you know, you, you've got a very clear level design. You get to A and you're blocked and you have to get something elsewhere and then you backtrack and, and then you can um, progress past point A. With Recompile, we were, we have those elements, um, but we gave the player the option to use more than one ability to complete that particular gate. Uh, mm -hmm. to unlock that gate. So for example, there might be a, a big gap between um, uh, where you want to go. And obviously you could get double jump, but you could also get dash. And I think giving the player the options to maybe go one path or a different path makes the game feel a little bit less like a puzzle and more like something a bit more freeform. Um, and it's the same idea that we had with the hacking as well. Like if you couldn't complete a puzzle or kill a particularly difficult enemy, you can always farm some bits and then, you know, kind of bypass them by your hacking ability. Um, so we give like the, the player like plenty of different options to try different things. Um, and I really love that about Hollow Knight where, you know, it's clearly a Metroidvania or a Metroidvania inspired title with mm. lots of abilities and, and, and gated progression, but there's always very free form as well. Like you could literally go anywhere and, and sometimes, you know, it feels like you're getting lost, but actually the game wants you to just explore. And that's mm -hmm. really nice as well. Yeah. I think Hollow Knight is doing more right things for the genre, you know, taking it into different directions. And I'm really looking forward to um, Silk Song, which is mm -hmm. coming out soon. So, God, yeah. God willing. <laughs> <laughs> and um, at what point does your mind stop que stop questioning the impossibility of the double jump? <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good first ability, right? I mean, it's right. it's like everybody expects it, um, and I love it. You know, it's it's. Uh, I don't know. Maybe someone out there will make a Metroidvania without a double jump. I know. It's just <laughs> the idea of what the double jump is. Yeah. I, I, my brain can't wrap around the physics of it. Jumping and then being able to jump again somehow <laughs> in midair. Okay, so this is the thing. With, yes, give me the thing. We compile. With we compile, <laughs> we are we are in a virtual world. Mm -hmm inside a computer so the great thing about that was what we you know we decided to set the game in inside a computer and then suddenly we realized that nothing has to be realistic anymore like everything is possible so mm -hmm. um so that was nice like we could make the graphics look completely crazy we could defy physics and no one would question anything because it's just you know anything goes when you're in a virtual world and that was really nice to do actually mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, and it's funny, you look back at games like Metroid, the answer was always, oh, we're just going to call it high jump and make you go a little bit higher. And then everyone was just like, that's lame. We're just going to do like a double thing. Weird game when you turn to a ball and roll around the place. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to shift gears a little bit. Um, the game is on Game Pass. Yeah. What was that conversation like with you and Microsoft, or is it something that's left to your publisher? 
more or less? Is it, did they approach you guys? Did you approach them? How much can you give us how those business dealings work? So, I, you know, I, um, you probably realize that a lot of Game Pass and I guess platform related stuff like, you know, with Sony and Microsoft is, is under NDA. So oh, of course, of course. You can't, yeah, no. you can't speak about I'm you not know, saying taking the whole farm here. Yeah, like, <laughs> oh, here's the contract. <laughs> I was paid this but, much amount of money. <laughs> what I can say is uh, my publisher, um, The Villagers, who we collaborated with to make Recompile, um, often publishes our instrumental in kind of dealing with uh, platforms. So as an indie dev, you know, with a team as small as, as mine, um, it's very difficult to get into those conversations with big platforms like Microsoft and, and Sony. So it's always helpful to have a publisher on board. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've already got an established relationship with um, companies like Microsoft. Right. And often, I mean, I think we were really lucky in that we were developing Recompile and then suddenly there was the announcement of the next gen so mm. PS5 and Xbox Series X. Right. Um, and at the time, they just wanted to try and find out what cool games were coming out or what cool games were in development. Mm-hmm. And they reached out to publishers and, and said, you know, if there's any cool projects that anyone, any big publisher or small publishers are working on or releasing soon, then they want to get these games on the system. So I think Game Pass was a big incentive to mm-hmm. for a lot of publishers to say, okay, let's uh let's check out what Xbox can do. And um and I think Game Pass is great because it doesn't you can you can tell that it doesn't looking at the games that are out there, there's no exclusivity or most of them aren't exclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Microsoft have been very um clever this generation to say you know we want everything on game pass you know mm-hmm. you don't have to be exclusive to microsoft you can you can still release on the ps5 you can still release on steam you can still be mm-hmm. on switch they don't care they just want game pass to be on everything so right. it's like it's like they're, they're trying to be more consumer friendly mm-hmm. and i think that's an important shift in the way that games companies are working now like i think that's a good step um because i hate exclusivity right i mean uh, i've i've got a ps5 but i don't you know i I want to play games on xbox or on pc as well you know i don't want to be stuck to one thing i don't want to have to buy five different consoles just to play five different exclusive games so this is a i think a really good step in the direction yeah when i was a kid my main thing was like it wasn't so much hating when like nintendo had their own thing or playstation or microsoft or sega it was more like I need to get more money in my hands to buy all this shit because this will always be the case in the video game landscape. There's always going to be folks incentivizing consumers to flock to their specific plastic box, and that's why we have exclusive mm-hmm. content. Um, but I did want to ask you, how does someone like you quantify what success looks like on the Game Pass service is it do you look at number of downloads player engagement is it purchases that are made after playing the game or while playing the game or is it just we have a deal with microsoft some monetary exchange happens that is enough to consider this a worthwhile deal it's a success in that respect how does that look to you 
So I think it's a bit of both. Um, mm. Obviously, there was some incentive to to go with a Game Pass deal, and they did offer some um, benefits uh, at the time of making the deal. Um, but with a number of, of downloads as well, does help um, give Microsoft the um, visibility of your mm. game. So, you know, the, the more popular a game is on, on Game Pass, then Microsoft may reach out and, and kind of help you with more marketing. And, and that ultimately helps, mm. you know, promoting the game on other platforms oh. as well. Um, so it, it's, it's, it all depends. I mean, it's not the same for everybody, mm. I think. I think it just depends on on what the deal is, um, and I, you know, obviously I can't speak for any other games, but of course for us, like the deal that we had with Game Pass was a significant percentage in helping us develop the game further. Mm. Um, if you know what I mean, you know, it, it gave right. us the resources to mm-hmm. take like the, the extra game polish from, in a sense. Yeah, to to make it a next gen game, really, mm-hmm. and and that was great. Uh, and it was good for for us as well. Like even if we don't get any kind of tangible sales from mm-hmm. people playing the game on Game Pass, it still developed our careers as a team. It mm. you know it gave us the benefit of being a Microsoft um, kind of partner, if you like. Mm. You know, it's, it's it's given us lots of other benefits yeah. uh, as well as you know having a game out on Xbox Series X, which is amazing. You know. Yeah, because that's because I, f- I feel like, uh, uh, but yeah, I'm such like a numbers dweeb. Like I see things in a very black and white, like mm-hmm. it, it, it just seeing that perspective helps a lot because people should know that it isn't just if I have a game on Game Pass and it has 100,000 downloads, but I have the same game on PlayStation and Switch and there's like 25 sales of the game. 25,000 sales of the game on each system what's the success one one scenario you have potentially folks who are on game pass not buying into your game and those who are on playstation and switch who have forked out money for the game and seeing that it's not as clear as that it's there's a lot of gray area with what success looks like on the platform is a big eye opener for me. It's not yeah, just I mean, a numbers it, game. At the end of the day, it's not just about sales. Right? I mean, it's right. I think business. A lot of business is is uh, is not about relationships as well. Um, like we don't want to make one game. You know, we we want our company to make ten games and twenty games. Mm-hmm. And, you know, become more successful in the future. And having a game on Game Pass as one of the first kind of titles in the year of release of the series x um Mm. is a big you know kind of foot in the door for future deals future uh, relationships with that platform and also you know if you if you're sony and you're seeing these games on game pass and you're thinking oh who who are these games that are getting on microsoft's door you know they are then interested when we talk to them and it, it helps every you know in all all aspects of our business um and you know, not everybody has Game Pass. You know, people who um, there are there will be people who will buy games on Xbox as well, and, mm-hmm. and that's fine. So, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. What's been the most uh, challenging thing for you, especially when you see you've been working on this game for such a long time, and then these next gen systems launch, and you're like, "Crap, 
I want to get this on these things too. <laughs> so yeah. how, how, how does that look like? Is it, is it much of a setback development wise, figuring out how to get this to work on the new stuff and to perform better, like with higher FPS, um, resolution up to 4k maybe what what does that look like on the dev side for you guys so i don't know if you've been you know you said you've been following we compile for a few Mm -hmm. years Mm -hmm. um so if you look at the previous trailers you may have noticed that we announced the game full release in 2020 Mm -hmm. and uh, obviously now it's you know a year Mm -hmm. year and a half later (laughs) and 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 that's partly due to pandemic stuff but you know Mm -hmm. that's what kind of we like to tell people but really it's (laughs) You know, it, the pandemic hasn't really affected me that negatively. You know, we've been working from home as a team for a long time. So that's kind of, nothing's changed there. The only things that have changed is not being able to go to events. Uh, like PAX East, uh, mm-hmm. where, where, you, where we met. Mm-hmm. Um, Good times. Really, the yeah, the delay for the game has, has, has really been due to that we wanted to target the new stuff. You know, we mm-hmm. wanted to be... I guess pioneers in a way like yeah we you know this is new system coming out um we had to upgrade unity to the latest version and support hdrp which is uh, more suited to kind of the next gen graphics that we were going for um yeah so with with all of that all of the marketing required to 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 develop for the new consoles uh, we had to get in additional manpower to help us reporting the game to all these different platforms. Um, it's a big job. Mm-hmm. And we've I've personally never made a game for anything but PC right. uh, before we compile. So it's all a, a big learning experience for me as well. And it, it's, it's difficult. Like I wouldn't recommend simultaneously shipping on <laughs> PC Steam windows 10 store xbox and ps5 mm-hmm. as one of your first titles if you're you know just starting out as an indie dev like do not do it it is most one of the most expensive and time consuming and most difficult things that you will probably end up doing in your life so wow. yeah it's uh, it's been it's been hard yeah because we're talking about you're going into the console space for the first time and then you're developing for what was last generation and now this new one comes they're like oh shit now it's a cross-gen thing going on we gotta make all this stuff work i can see how it can get a little intense for you guys on the dev side and it's not just you know i'm i'm a programmer so obviously mm-hmm. there's technical challenges that we mm-hmm. have to overcome um the fact that the new consoles support 4k and ex- and players expect to have 60 frames per second of 4k right. sounds like a standard thing but it's you know it's really really difficult because if you think about the previous gen um people were using 1080p monitors right mm-hmm. and they were getting 60 frames on there or not even you know not even that xbox mm-hmm. one and ps4 a lot of games were running on 30 frames per second right, right. um so with 4k you're thinking okay you need a you now need a graphics card that can deliver four times the number of pixels as 1080p because you know it's like mm-hmm. 10 four 1080p monitors effectively but you want to double the frame rate as mm-hmm. well so you've got 60 frames a second a lot of players expect between 60 and 120 frames a second mm-hmm. so the amount of horsepower needed from graphics as well as like optimization from programmers and 
the engine that you're using, whether that be Unity, Unreal, or in-house, is like a huge technical achievement that is even possible. Like it's it's fucking crazy. Like it really is. Um, yeah, it's it's really really difficult. But and that's one of the reasons why it took us so long to kind of get there and you know delay the game a little bit. But we managed it in the end without a lot of hacks and cheats along the way. But yeah, yeah. And, and then I saw this. I forget. I think it was the uh, the tourist is now like an 8K and 120 FPS. And I'm like, how? What? <laughs> Why? How? I'm just like, I don't think my TV can appreciate that level of detail. And then also this game isn't like super detailed where I need it to be in 8K resolution. Yeah, yeah. this is somehow some sort of talking point to people. Like, look how much resolution we have. Or look at all these frames per second. As if that somehow means it's better than those that aren't in that category or in that column of 8k 120 or 4k there is there is a saving light i think and it's the whole ai upscaling tech that's Mm -hmm. coming out you know obviously with dlsss and then i think um, amd have their own one as well now Mm -hmm. um that may help developers quite a bit in you know optimizing because like 8k i can't imagine someone you know, we've got two programmers, me, myself, and uh, the guy who's helping me do importing. Right. And we struggle so much, uh, so, like how small groups or small teams like ourselves be able to support a future system with 8K would, is, is kind of impossible without something like an AR upscaling te- technology or something like that. You know, I mean, we can power, if you look at the art style, there's no mm-hmm. textures. Right. Um, there's no, uh, you know, there's no ray tracing. There's no, like, mm-hmm. anything hyper realistic you know it's Mm -hmm. just really simple geometric detail and the kind of solid shading Mm -hmm. um but we use a lot of volumetric lights we use a lot of real-time lights we don't bake any of the lights in the game um so everything's like in real time um so that still even with such a simple art style it was a big task to get the game running at 4k at 60 frames and it took us months of work just to to get a stable frame rate so I can't imagine how that would be with like, you know, big AAA games, to be honest. So. Right. And then someone could look at your game and say, oh, this could be an AK easily. There's no <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. there's no like textures in this. Like it, it could totally be like an AK, like just press a button. Where's the, where's the AK button? And they can make it work. <laughs> uh, maybe for like a 200 man team. If it's oh, like sure. a, yeah. a dedicated graphics team who can yeah. work out their own engine, then, yeah. then fine. Then maybe it could, but. Just have Microsoft give you like ten Game Pass deals in advance. Like, we'll we'll, we'll make <laughs> exactly. the game. Just give us the money up front. <laughs> we got some AK stuff to do. Um, what's been the most surprising thing for you working in the console space for the first time after being strictly on PC in development for so long? So it's simultaneously the most difficult thing that we've done, but it's also been the most easiest thing that we've done in a way so i think uh and that's a testament to some of the newer features that the game engine support these days so unreal and unity um in the past maybe two or three years have developed some amazing tools to make it as painless as possible to export to um consoles and that wasn't the case like five years ago so when i developed my first game 
uh, called Tiny Keep, and there was an opportunity for us to uh, release a Xbox One version, and we decided not to, um, just because of the purely technical challenges at the time. It was really difficult. Uh, the Xbox One was underpowered compared to uh, the, the regular gaming PC of the day. Um, we had to rewrite all our shaders. A lot of the physics wouldn't work. Um, a lot of the systems had to be rewritten in, you know, a totally different language to to wrap around what we had. So it was very, very difficult at the time to to actually port to a system. Now it's a lot easier. Like Unity are working very, very closely with. So we use Unity for recompile, right? And and Unity worked very closely with all of the different platform holders to. Uh, to make sure that their tools are working nicely with um, next gen. It was still difficult, obviously, as I mentioned, would be optimization and um, getting the game to run a good frame rate and, and all that stuff. So that was a difficult part, but the easy part is actually, once we've sorted out getting the game to run quickly, actually getting the game to run mm-hmm. at all is actually not that hard compared to it was how it was like a few years ago. So that's been, that's been nice, I think. Okay. Yeah. What uh, what excites you the most about these next generation of consoles? So I'm really excited about, I don't know if it's this generation or at least this generation of graphics cards or next generation consoles, but it's mm. the promise of like uh, ray traced graphics is Ooh. really amazing. And, and, and not just like how they look, you know, it's all about, there's a workflow that game designers have to go through in a minute and it's baking lights uh, into a scene and that takes depending on how complex a scene is it could take hours it could take days you just press a button and you have to sit there and wait and mm. you know <laughs> wait for the the game to, to bake in all this realistic lighting mm. and then but if you imagine like if all the lights are baked into the level but then you had moving objects like they would need to be lit up dynamically right mm-hmm. so then designers and artists have to go into the level that's been pre-baked and then have to set up these things called light probes and that takes hours and days and, and months. Um, and these light probes are like the kind of fake lights that affect real moving objects. Anyway, none of the technical stuff matters, but it's just a big, a big ball ache to, to have this workflow in place where mm-hmm. if we're shifting to ray tracing, we're no longer cheating with light. So the way that games work now is very much like we put some lights here in the scene and they kind of work in a way. And for make, to make things look realistic, we kind of have to do a lot of cheats, a lot of hacks. With ray tracing, everything just works as if it was real. So, you know, you have actual photons coming out of the sun and they right. bounce uh, on these walls and, and give you reflections and ambient occlusion and all these cool stuff that before we'd have to use some very complex systems to achieve that and lots of hacks. Now with ray tracing, like as long as the graphics card can support it, as long as the hardware can render ray tracing quick enough, mm-hmm. it's gonna be really, really easy to make games look good without much effort at all. And that's what's really exciting is, is how maybe indie games can use something like ray tracing to, to complement some more interesting art styles as well. Um, so, you know, if you imagine, a realistic game with ray tracing fine that's easy to do but right. if you look at something like minecraft and then add ray tracing to that it's like whoa this looks crazy like what would recompile look like with ray tracing you know that's the that's the interesting thing yeah i've seen some videos of like people taking like old ps2 games like god of war putting like ray tracing in it or like ocarina of time Quake 2. ray tracing yeah. yeah and i'm just like 
wow. Like, <laughs> you know, even in their time, they looked amazing, but yeah. that was just a jaw-dropping beauty. I, I do think a lot of those kind of experiments are a little bit heavy-handed and like everyone's mm. just trying to do loads of reflections and everything's super right. shiny. Right. And it kind of looks like everything's <laughs> covered in like a fine layer of oil, which is kind yeah, of weird. it's a slathered in Vaseline. <laughs> <laughs> But I think the, the 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 core concept though is like it's really cool. You know, you're able to get a light that comes in, mm-hmm. bounces around the room, you know, like fifteen to twenty times, and mm-hmm. as it bounces from each surface, surface bring in color from all the different surfaces, yeah. and that's something that you just couldn't have before. Yeah. So that's that's really cool. You know? That's really neat. Uh, how soon can we get this game to be in the VR space? Because I feel like the aesthetic demands. <laughs> something in a vr world was that Maybe, ever I was, mean, was like, that ever on the table for you guys like was it ever like in the back of your minds like oh you know psvr2 is around the corner and yeah you know. i think it was uh i've worked on a vr game before mm-hmm. and you know you're effectively rendering the game twice one for each eye mm-hmm. depending right. on a different camera angle and and then you're also expecting um at least 90 frames per second for each mm-hmm. eye um, possibly sub 1440p uh, resolutions as well. So it's a big rendering computation to make mm-hmm. a game for VR. So that's right. like a technical challenge. But right. um, the other challenge is like commercially as well. It's, it takes a lot of investment to make a VR mm-hmm. game. And the only big VR game that I've seen is probably Half-Life Alex, right? I mean, that's yeah. the only mm-hmm. one that is that traditional gamers would say oh that's a game like everything else is like it's cool like super hot's cool and 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 stuff like that but they're seen by traditional gamers as like kind of toys or experiments or proof of concepts tech demos basically yeah exactly and Mm -hmm. and i think half-life and it's managed to break out of that but there hasn't since that game there hasn't been any huge you know apart from you know ports like skyway but i don't think they really count Mm -hmm. because they're kind of like right you know afterthoughts but um Mm -hmm. It's it's interesting, but I think we're we're getting there. We're we're in a better space with VR than we were <laughs> thirty years ago with uh, you know Virtual Boy or, or whatever. And, right. Uh, but oh god, uh, Virtual you know, Boy. <laughs> <laughs> the, the tech wasn't quite ready then, but you know the ideas were there, and I think yeah. the tech is ready now. We just need more more people with VR. You know, mm-hmm. more. It it will come, um, possibly not for Recompile, but it's something that we'll look into. So. There's actually a virtual boy right behind oh, me in, like my, in my display case. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. That's like I said, it, it was always about finding money to buy things as a kid because I wanted everything. I couldn't. FOMO was real when I was a child because a lot of my friends own different things and I want to own everything because I couldn't miss out a single experience. That's See, I wanted everything. <laughs> I couldn't afford it or my parents didn't want to buy it for me or for whatever reason like they had no money or or whatever um so now i buy everything as an adult that i used to want as a kid right you know it's funny i could spend all of my paycheck on three or four new gaming systems and a bunch of games but i would never want to have a unified console with like here's the one box you have and all the games come out of it i would never wish that because I feel even though some folks lose out on some experiences, yes, having a lot of hands in the pot really pushes innovation, mm. 
creativity and just making better quality stuff that people want to buy and want to own. So that's like, I, I, I'm happy being broke if that's the world I'm living in. <laughs> if everyone's creative and making good shit, I'll take it. And I think with that, we can jump into the best part of the show. Well, oh, no. this is still a pretty good part of the show. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Learned about ray tracing and 8K and how easy it is. <laughs> um, we're going to jump into rapid fire right now. Oh, no. Oh, no. Go for it. And, um, you know, I think a good starting off point for this one would be we are in a distant future where an evil or a well-intentioned but it always goes evil ai has taken over the planet for our own sake because you know we are our own worst enemies that's all. Uh-huh. all machines get to that point well well mankind to save you from yourselves i gotta take over this shit because you're you're all just dumb <laughs> so we have a world where an ai has taken over the planet i want you to search through your mind through all the ai in gaming and cinema history be it skynet or shodan or glados who would you want to be in charge of our planet and they're all fucked up in their own special way but <laughs> you have to pick just one who would so you my have? favorite would you my have? favorite of ai in fiction of all mm-hmm. time is not a game or a movie or mm. a film. It's from a series of books by a author called Ian M. Banks. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's a series called The Culture. And basically, AI has evolved to uh, require a symbiotic relationship with humans. Ooh. And then from that point, humans and AI colonize the galaxy together. Ooh. And obviously, there are going to be conflicts and, you know, things don't turn out right for a lot of them but right right i think that's the kind of future that i would love for to become real you know ai actually progresses humanity in a way that humanity alone could never could that would be amazing okay there are 10 books in this series i'm gonna maybe order them right now because that sounds incredible i recommend reading (laughs) <laughs> the player of games as your first book. Oh, and that's the second book in the series. <laughs> there is, but it's it's not a it's not a canonical series. Like you oh, believe, interesting. You know, it's okay. it's just like a, a it's all series set in the same universe, but all right. they're not necessarily connected. So the player of games, like it contains like a lot of kind of gaming elements mm-hmm. as well. Like you might be interested in, but also right. I think it's the most accessible book in the series. But. All right. So we're going to do a quick shift now from a very serious question to a very silly one. Is cereal, <laughs> is cereal a soup? No. And I'll tell you why. Oh, see, it's, it's going to get philosophical. So I don't like milk. <laughs> um, therefore, whenever I do have cereal, it's dry. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it's, it cannot be a soup if it's dry. Mm. So to you, cereal is just a bunch of dry shit in a bowl. More or less. Yeah. <laughs> but I might have a glass of orange juice or something on the side, but it's always like a bowl was, of dry stuff. I was going to say, where to you get your calcium intake from? But then you have the OJ, so you make up for the loss of milk. <laughs> How does, like, I feel, see, 
again, I don't want to go on a huge tangent here, but milk is one of those things where I can't have it if I'm eating like, like if I'm eating like a cake or a cookie, milk has to be yeah. just like the companion piece to that. I mean, like I, I, I don't mind milk in as an ingredient. Like I like mm-hmm. ice cream. <laughs> yeah sure i like cheese i like <laughs> butter i like cake and cookies um but i just don't like milk on its own so mm-hmm. you know <laughs> all right so recompile's been out for uh, about a week or so now maybe two weeks some time goes by and it's a huge mega success and all the, all that money is pouring in you did it fee you made a blockbuster best-selling game and you're getting drunk off your ass celebrating how, <laughs> how how great the game is, how everyone loves it. What word best describes you when you're drunk? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, overly intimate with everyone. <laughs> oh, see, I'm a little bit the same way, and that gets me. Yeah, into- so I don't drink around people anymore because I'm a little bit too touchy 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 sometimes yeah yeah i've been i've been called handsy by my male friends and and i try to stay with my male friends if i am drunk because it gets me in a lot less trouble i love it i think handsy is the best word we can use in this situation would you rather have an exact clone of yourself or one one million dollars tax-free cash in your hand uh cash a clone of myself would be way too annoying mm-hmm. <laughs> i would hate it <laughs> like honestly yeah. i it's... don't know how my wife uh <laughs> you know puts up with me to be honest like another one no that oh. would be that would be the end of that match ah <laughs> oh, fuck there's two of them now <laughs> <laughs> would you rather invent something new or discover something new uh invent for sure Mm. yeah mm-hmm. when you're getting dressed and going about your day and you have a pair of socks beside you and your shoes mm-hmm. or sneakers on the floor next to your feet do you put them on sock sock shoe shoe or sock shoe sock shoe uh sock socks because it kind of makes sense i guess and you're not a psychopath <laughs> I you don't know. know anyone else who does it the other way around. Listen, crazy. I feel like I've been doing this podcast for a long time now, and this is a more recent rapid fire question, but it is my life's goal to find the psychotic among uh-huh. the indie dev community. Someone's out there. I'm going to find them. I'm I think find- you need to find, you need <laughs> to put them into that situation because it's very uncommon to have socks next to your shoes, I think. Mm-hmm. 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 So maybe when that's a thing, then right. then that could be a thing. So I should just be going to conventions and just putting socks and shoes besides developers yeah. at their booths and be like, what do you think of that? What would you do? <laughs> and they would what? uncontrollably put what? them on. <laughs> what happens next? <laughs> <laughs> um, what is something you're terrible at, but you wish you could do really well? Uh, draw. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... I'm the kind of person that wants to be able to do everything mm-hmm. um, and I can program a game and I can design it, but I really want to do the artwork for a game. And mm-hmm. that would be amazing if I could. Oh, and play music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Two things, drawing and play music. Any particular instrument or just all, all the things? Uh, what, what's your, 
instrument of choice? Either piano or violin, oh, probably. God, I feel like we're like soulmates. Fee piano. <laughs> I always fantasize about being able to play the piano, yeah. but I never actually tried to actually learn to play the piano. Just, you have to be ambidextrous like you do i can do fine with just right and stuff and then as soon as you Possibly. put this in it's like yeah. spaghetti so yep <laughs> your wife gets a phone call in the middle of oh, the no. night from the local mm. authorities that you have just been arrested uh-huh. what what crime have you committed uh it was probably from the time when i was a naughty teenager and <laughs> uh and accidentally set fire to a car <laughs> but that was i was 12 at the time, was it 13 or something at the time now, and um yeah i'm gonna need you to expound on that how does one accidentally set fire to a car uh by accidentally having very bad friends uh, <laughs> see now i was gonna ask you next what's something you have done that should have gotten you killed and i feel this car fire story is <laughs> Maybe the answer to that question, I don't know. Is there something that you've done that may have gotten you killed aside from setting cars on fire at the age of 13? <laughs> I don't know. I am really bad at wearing cycle helmets. Um, so you, and I should wear. Don't wear them at all? <laughs> yeah, I just don't. I just, I, I, either I, I forget to, to wear them or I don't like it because it's, gets all sweaty and horrible mm. but i was at one time where i did decide to wear one and it's like one out of a hundred times of riding bikes in my city that the one time i decided to wear it i went headfirst into a car wow so that should have killed me if it wow. was any other day yeah wow or you would be like you see this helmet's bad luck if i wasn't wearing it i wouldn't have gone headfirst into a car <laughs> True, true. <laughs> um, if you had access to a time machine that could uh-huh. only go either forwards in time or backwards in time, which way would you go? Uh, forwards, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, talking about the AI thing, like I want to mm. see where we are, where we're in that. Also, backwards, you know, diseases, religion education like nah i just right. uh, i don't want to do any of that stuff i want progress and mm. dreams mm. got it always look always look forward never look back mm-hmm. if you could pick one game company to collaborate on a future project with who would that be mm. one developer be it triple a or indie someone that you really want to work with on the project so there's one UK-based company called Introversion Software. Have you mm-hmm. heard of them? No, I have not. No. Uh, so they, they, you might have done if you, yeah, I'd listen to games. They, they started out with a, a game called Uplink, which is a hacking mm-hmm. simulation. Mm-hmm. And then they made Darwinia. And then they made Prison Architect, which is kind of the most oh, recent that's, big thing. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that one. Um, and I think it was their kind of story that first inspired me to like, oh yeah, I want to do this as well. So mm-hmm. that would be amazing. Um, yeah. Okay. And I think I'm going to wrap this up on two, two potentially heartbreaking questions. Depends uh-huh. on how we go with this. So first one's going to be easy. Okay. And then that's going to determine the follow-up question. 
what is, in your opinion, the single greatest Metroidvania game of all time? <laughs> Wonder Boy Dragon's Trap. Ooh. Wow. Did not expect mm. that answer. Did not expect it. Okay. Because it was a Metrovania before Metrovanias were a thing. And my dad got it for me for the Master System. And I was like eight or something. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what a Metrovania was. But mm-hmm. now I look back at it, it's like, actually, there's, there's like these animals that you can turn into. And they all have different abilities. And you can kind of mm-hmm. change into any animal at any time. It's like, wow, this is crazy. So big influence for me. When was the last time you played it, just out of curiosity? Uh, 2018, maybe. Okay, not, um, not that far back. And also they did a remake for the Switch as well. So that mm-hmm. was kind of fairly recent, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so given that that's your favorite one, we're going to omit that as possible choices for this next answer. And Uh-oh. that is, you can only play one Metroidvania game for the rest of your days, and all the rest mm-hmm. disappear. Not including your favorite of all time. <laughs> what do does that th- mean? My game disappears. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make an exception for your game, Pete. Well, that it's <laughs> thank you. Since you made it, it's yours. You get to keep that. I'm not. Obviously, that I'm not going to choose my game because it is no way. I, I'm not that. I'm not that cruel. So. Uh... <laughs> uh, <laughs> um. Probably. Hollow Knight, just because I keep finding new things mm-hmm. in there mm-hmm. that I have, you know, just secrets and stuff that I think I've completed it, and then suddenly there's like this new thing, and then the DLC comes out, and then it's like more things, and then the world is just, yeah, it surprises me every time I play. So I think that will last a while. Yeah, Silk Song has really, really big standard to fill i feel like that yeah game, it's the, the the bar is set so high for that game i team cherry has their hands full that's all i'm gonna say that's uh, i don't envy them in that matter because when you make a game that great doing any kind of follow-up most of the time could be set up for failure because how do you live up but um that's they've, that they've managed to live up to every kind of milestone that they've mm-hmm. done. Like, obviously, they did the Kickstarter first, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was that, that got a ton of money and a ton of, you know, support mm-hmm. and stuff. And, like, how mm-hmm. could they live up to that? And they did. Yeah. And they went far beyond anything that everyone thought was possible with that game. Mm-hmm. And then the DLCs came out, and they were also amazing. So I think, I think they got this. I think I've bought that game, like, four times. Yeah. I'm like I want on everything. It's like oh, it's on Switch, on the PS4, it's on PC, it's on the refrigerator, wherever I can get it, I'll I'll play it and buy it. All right, Fee, thank okay. you so much. That was a lot of fun. Before we say goodbye, where can we find out more about you, the game? Where can we buy it? Where can we play it? Give us all the PR spiel, all the details. Go for it. Hit me. Yeah. So uh, my name is Fee Din. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. PHI6. And uh, from there, there's links to the game. So it's recompilegame.com and it's out for Steam, um, Epic, GOG, Windows 10, Xbox Series S and X, and PS5, and Game Pass. Uh, so, yeah, lots of places where you can play the game. 
great. And it's only 20 bucks, guys. I mean, seriously. Games this good don't come around too often that are really trying to challenge what we think a Metroidvania should be and how it looks and plays like. So if you find some time, you got some spare change in your pocket, go buy this game. Highly recommended. And with that, Fee, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a lot of fun. I learned an awful lot about things I may forget in the next five minutes, but that's my, <laughs> that's my goldfish brain for me. But fortunately, this podcast lives on forever on Podbean, on iHeartRadio, Spotify, iTunes, and even on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash dual screens TV. Until next time, listeners, thank you so much. Thank you, Fee. And as always, please be excellent to each other. <laughs>